everybody. Welcome back to the 20th episode of the Shea Station podcast, the John Boy Media Mets podcast. It's probably the most exciting episode we've had in about a month now uh, with two really big pieces of news after a couple quiet weeks. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by former relief pitcher Jerry Blevins and, of course, Mets fan Jerry Blevins. And uh, I think this is one of those episodes where we kind of just we jump right in because there's not too much prelude to this because of how sudden everything transpired. You know, I know you already discussed this a little bit with SNY, and we're obviously going to talk about the big free agent signing news first before we get to the Mets other hire. But uh, can I just get some some raw thoughts right off the bat? Yeah, raw thoughts. Number one, uh, I'm happy for Noah Syndergaard as as a friend and as a human being. He's, you know, signed to a team. He's He got a great deal. Um, and I didn't anticipate as much uh, anger. I'm not saying it's unwarranted. I believe you can feel however you want to feel, um, especially if you care. It's passion. You're allowed to be angry if that's how you feel. I, I want you to feel it. You know, whatever drives you. Uh, I just didn't anticipate that level of of hurt from Mets fans, which is understandable. And I, I wanted you to touch on that a little bit, if, if because you were you became not Jolly Olive on Twitter, which I love. <laughs> Parentheses <laughs> so, not very. Explain subtle. it. Explain it for yourself for a little bit. Yeah. So, like, I to preface my thoughts, I just want everyone to know that we're going to talk about this from a fan perspective, then we're going to talk about it from a business perspective because I think. The two don't necessarily align, but both are valid in like uh, their own regard. As a fan, uh, the immediate news uh, was shocking, uh, saddening for sure, and sort of uh, it's scary. I think is is the correct word to use here. I don't I don't think I'm I'm angry. I don't think I ever was. Some fans are, and some fans express emotions in different ways, and that's totally fine as long as you're not going at the players and their livelihoods and stuff like that. Um, but my, my thing was fear, because I, I think this is the official ushering of a new Mets era. I think the last uh, playoff window we had was 2015-2016, and that era, uh, aside from Jacob deGrom, who is the last lingering player from that era, is dead. And that is a scary thing to go through. Uh, Yankees fans can probably feel a similar thing with maybe Brett Gardner not coming back, because that is the official end of the last time they won a World Series because he was there. And I think it's a similar feeling for the Mets because this turnover from the 2015 team kind of happened suddenly. I mean, you think about it, it's seven years removed. It's a long time, but the time just kind of flies by and you always expect these guys to hang around and stick around. And I know the Mets could have kept some guys around. They could have made efforts to retain Zach Wheeler is the perfect example there, but it's the turning of events that is just natural in baseball. Uh, it, it may not be natural for big market teams that can always find a way to keep the guys that they love, uh, but for the Mets, they're, they're just ushering into the Steve Cohen high payroll baseball, and they didn't have the resources to bring those guys back, or I guess the wherewithal to bring some of those guys back. So with Noah leaving in such a shocking way, and we're going to dive into why exactly it was shocking, um, it just brought some fear into me. And, you know, fear can be hopeful, or it can just be dread. Uh, but it's fear nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I think you you touched on something there that's that's kind of interesting for me. You talked about like the end of an era, and it, and it I think it hits home more for Mets fans in the sense that you know some of those guys are still having quality baseball being played elsewhere, which is why you know the Yankees everybody's retired except for Brett Gardner, you know, and he's he's plans on playing. I don't know what his deal is, but that's kind of like time passed. 
you know, time heals all wounds. We're, we're watching, you know, we're watching Zach Wheeler, you know, be at his best at his peak, you know, in Philly, which is, which is tough to see. Um, and we're seeing Noah switch and, and go over. So you feel a little bit of betrayal and understandable because Noah really voiced his, his desire, his want, his love for returning to New York. And uh, it didn't, it didn't happen. And it came out of kind of nowhere. It came up fast and a lot of people just banked on banked on Noah coming back. So it was kind of like, wait, what happened? The, the rug got pulled out from under you. We, we had talked about, yeah, I was going to say, I had, I had anticipated him not accepting the qualifying offer just because I know how good he is, how young he is and how hard he works. And that is a desirable, you know, combination. And if people think they can buy you at a value, for the long term, they're going to pay you and and get more out of you uh, as far as you know what you what your their input to output is. I think their return on investment was really high for Noah, and I still think he left you know some multi years out there. But I think he wanted to rebuild his value, and I think you know it's okay. He wants to do it in Anaheim, so so be it. At the end of the day, uh, it's an extra $2.6 million, and some people I saw treated this as chump change, and it's not. It's $2.5 million. If you think it's chump change, feel free to donate to me and Jerry. We would be more than grateful. Um, But no, this is uh, a player betting on himself, which is admirable every time it happens because there is a certain risk involved in that. If Noah has another injury-riddled year, his value is going to tank. The interest is not going to be there like it was before. I'm sure there were some multi-year deals on the table, maybe not for the annual value he desired. Um, but Noah rejecting the qualifying offer uh, shocked me. I know that you kind of expected it and you have a different uh, perspective as a player who's negotiated contracts before. For me, I was talking and operating uh, like Noah was a lock for the rejection next year, uh, for the uh, rotation next year, excuse me. And my projections always included him as the number two uh, behind DeGrom. And now this rotation... Uh, is looking a little thin with question marks pretty much attached to every guy through uh, the one through five. And we have a one through five full of guys that have made at least 10 major league starts. You have DeGrom here still, obviously. Yeah, let's, let's, let's make that switch. Well, we were fan. We were fans for a second. Business. Yeah. Let's look at Let's look at the Mets rotation right now. So the Mets, they short $2.6 million. They save the $18 million. They have that to spend now. What they need to address. And they got the draft pick. And they have the draft pick, which is in the second round from the Angels. That's an added bonus to this, if you will. Um, but the, what the Mets are working with right now, one through five, is DeGrom, Cookie Carrasco, who's coming off a rough injury-riddled year, Taiwan Walker, who had the worst second half of any starting pitcher in baseball, albeit a great first half, uh, Tyler McGill, who sort of ran out of steam towards the end. He's a young kid. He came up from double A. A lot was asked of him. He, I think he lived up to the, to the bill. And then David Peterson, who had some elbow problems and was struggling towards the end before he got his own injury. Uh, so there's pretty much question marks attached to all of these guys. Uh, and that's not really what you want heading into an important season for the Mets where they uh, failed to prove themselves in 2021 and are trying to do so again. Um, so starting pitching, I think all of a sudden, is at the forefront of the Mets' focus. I know we heard them attached to some third baseman rumors and some corner outfield rumors, but now the focal point of everything should be uh, starting pitching, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I still think number one is that third baseman corner outfield for me. Uh, I think you need. I think if if we don't get Marcus Stroman, uh, I think he's the only like real number easy fit for us as that number two because he's been here before. All the all the peripherals, he's he's great. Um, 
I think he's a natural fit, but if, if they don't want to overpay and I, and I use the, the term overpay, you know, whatever, because he's got leverage now because they need him even more, whatever the term may be. Uh, I think you go for a few short-term things, but they do need a number two behind DeGrom and they need some depth. So we're kind of in the same boat. It's just a little bit more dire that you need a, a like one of those top names left, whether it's a, a long-term Stroman, you know, Kevin Gosman type deal, or if it's just short-term Scherzer, I'm looking in the notes and you didn't mention uh, Verlander at all, which is interesting because he's kind of in the same boat as Noah right. coming off injury, but he's, he's all in now. And I think, I think he's, he's trying to to build his case for Cooperstown, um, which I think is basically a lock anyway, but uh, I think he's just building his legacy. And I think this would be a great fit. I'm surprised by that. I think he would, he would, I think he would jump at the opportunity to play alongside uh, Jacob deGrom to take a little bit of pressure off of each other and to learn from each other. There's, there's something to be said about pairing yourself with another guy that's, that's elite and you push, you push your game forward. Um, But I, I think that need of a true number two guy, or at least a one B one of those is, is definitely up there for our rotation and then, you know, the corner outfield third base is still the biggest issue for me. So, yeah, I think there, there's two sides of the sword on Verlander, and we, we can expand here a little bit. One is that the Mets n- might not be attracted to another guy that has a question mark attached to him, albeit it's a fantastic arm in Justin Verlander, who probably still has gas left in the tank, as shown by his, his workout. The other thing is that Verlander has a lot of bidders, one of them being the Yankees, obviously. So Verlander is going to get this one to two year deal with a very high AAV is my is my prediction. Um, So it all depends on uh, the Mets new GM, who we're going to get into a little bit later, who has a history of not handing out the greatest max contracts or the greatest five to six year deals. He's had some rough history there. That's where Stroman and Gosman lie. They're going to get five to six. They're going to get above $100 million because they are at the top of the key, along with Robbie Ray in the starting pitcher market, which is turning out to be you know pretty eye-opening, especially with some of the guys that didn't get qualifying offers, which is who I want to touch on next. Two guys that I think the Mets should look out for, especially because they don't have to give up draft picks to get them. For those who don't know, if a player isn't offered the $18.4 million qualifying offer by a team, there's no draft pick compensation attached to that player, meaning any team can go sign that player and they don't have to forfeit a pick at all. That's a true a true free agent. Exactly. A true free agent is a good way to phrase that. Two guys that are eye-opening that did not get qualifying offers, which shocked me, were John Gray of the Rockies and Carlos Rodon, who just came off his best season with the White Sox. That's a righty and a lefty, both with tremendous upside, both still in their 20s, which is uh, appealing as well. I don't know if they're going to get into that five to six year range. I don't think they're completely proven enough. I think they're definitely three to four year candidates. And I think that's a little bit more manageable for the Mets who have a lot of holes to fill this offseason. So I think that uh, getting two quality arms instead of one premium arm may be the way to go and may be the way they're looking at. Uh, But the Mets have multiple routes to go here. I just think Rodon and Gray and not giving up any draft picks would be very ideal for the team right now. I feel I, those guys, those guys making, make me nervous. You know, those guys are unproven. Rodon's had a history of injury. He's had his best year was all because not all because of, but a lot of it was because his velo got up. And then as you, as it back came back down. So those guys make me nervous. Even, you know, I love what Kevin Gosman did. He's got elite stuff. I love what he did out there, but I don't know if that's sustainable. I think it will be. 
But that's why I think Strowman is so attractive because what he does, he does. He is established. This nothing we saw was like all of a sudden new, like Robbie Ray all of a sudden had great control and his, his walk numbers dropped down. Well, that may have been turning the page, but you're still rolling the dice that that is who it is. Some guys have, you know, a flash in the pan kind of season. Uh, and so Strowman to me is the only, I hate to say guarantee productivity out of that, but, but I agree, that's yeah. why he's so, yeah. And so if you're going for a younger guy, a Jonathan Gray, uh, a Carlos Rodon, I think, I think the risk factor is higher. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to tie up so many years on a contract of like, what if, what if it's nothing that that's why a guy like Verlander, it's a, it's a higher average annual value, but you just had whatever you were expecting for Noah Syndergaard coming off Tommy John, having thrown two innings, you have to expect that from Justin Verlander, maybe even more so because of his tie-ins. He, he's, he doesn't have the next 10 years of his career in front of him, he's trying to do things now. He wants to do things now. And so, you know, whatever the case may be, I think, I think those bigger contracts on those less proven guys uh, are a little more scary for me. And that's totally fair. And I think one important thing to touch on from Marcus Stroman is that I feel like out of the list of guys we have here, he's the only one that I feel like his best seasons may still be in front of him. Uh, he had a fantastic coming, uh, coming back year last year made all 32 starts after not pitching in 2020, which is insanely impressive. But he's a young guy, and like he's about to get his big deal, and I still feel like he is perfecting his arsenal. He's already a great pitcher, but I feel like there's still that room for improvement. Um, he all but confirmed on Twitter that he's not going to the Yankees, which I thought was hilarious, because uh, Yankees fans and Marcus Stroman just clash. They'd always go at each That's other. So, it's so crazy to me. I love it. Yeah. You know, as, as, much, as, as much as guys that they don't want to, like – lessen their their appeal uh, across the the league with of course yeah, I want to say I re- I want to return to the team like why would it, why would you eliminate that negotiating piece Stroma's not afraid to be like nah I'm not going to nah I'm not going there you know he got he got he took it personal when Cashman said he's not you know not a game changer not, I believe they're on good terms now though they're 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 okay I bet now. they are yeah. because they're both they're both adults but you know ET whatever motivates you man and that's you talked about Stroman I think his best is ahead of him as well, but I all I also think that he's always trying to work on his craft, always getting better. He truly views pitching as an art form, and he's constantly trying to experiment with things. Uh, I love it. I love the way he approaches his 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 job, the way he fields his his position, the way he works. I, I love everything that he does. And again, now that, that Noah's gone, he's he's kind of got his he, – he's standing on an island now out, out in the middle of nowhere, and he's the only solid known quantity, I think. You know, Gosman did it for a season and a half, I think, now. Um, and maybe just a touch longer than that, and I think he'll be fine. But if you if you need something, if you need something, Strowman has done it for a while now. So he, he is his own guy. And with the departure of Noah and, of course, Stroman kind of getting Mets fans on his side with that tweet yesterday, I feel like the desire for him is at an all-time high. But the thing that the Mets need to know is that they are by far not the only suitor 
uh, for Marcus Stroman. There are plenty of teams that are going to be in on him and willing to spend. And I think overpay is the wrong word because at the end of the day, it is always worth it to pay for starting pitching that, like you said, is a basically known guarantee because of Stroman's durability yeah, and his consistency. Apart from injury, and this guy does everything in his power to to not have – you know, he works, he, he's flexible. He does all this stuff for his body to barring injury. You're going to get quality. And I think, you know, I can see Anaheim. Yeah. It's scary. Lobbying a fit for him as well. Yeah. And so they might be ripping our hearts out. And so the Mets, the Mets play the angels in June. So that's going to be an interesting. Series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Nice. They play the I angels hope no in pitches. June. Yeah. Where at? In Anaheim? They're going to play in Anaheim. Yeah. Not at city field. Oh, okay. So that's all right. I can see, I already see the seven, the seven line army making a trip. Out oh, to yeah. Anaheim. They're already planning on it. <laughs> That'll be interesting. So I, that's, I love it. that's something to look out for. I think the angels. Yeah. I agree. Totally a suitor for starting pitching. Uh, just in general, the one guy that's already off the market is, is Eduardo Rodriguez. He went to the tigers on a four year deal. I think around the 75 million range. Um, and that kind of set the bar for what pitching contracts are going to look like this off season. There's tons of options, but I feel like every team, and it's just a known point, uh, every team needs starting pitching. And I think you can really look to the 2021 playoffs as an example of this, where starting pitchers were going two to three innings on average. Like the Astros were really struggling to get their starting pitchers to go more than four innings, and it was really hurting them in games. They still won the American League pennant and all, but I think if you have those starting pitchers that can give you a little bit more length and ease that bullpen, that's so important. You could say you could say it cost in the World Series because those guys were gassed at the end. Absolutely. You know, it, it it's it's a premium, especially they're gonna get whatever happens in the playoffs, you're gonna you're gonna try to win every single game. You just have a limited, but during this the regular season, you need guys to log these innings, not only quality innings for wins, but to just take pressure off their those guys at the back end of the bullpen. And and I think the emphasis on guys that can really be a quality pitcher to give you six, seven innings is there's more need for it now than there was even in the past. It They're letting fewer and fewer guys even attempt to do it. So, so you really want to see McGill and Peterson provide triple a depth because the Mets will get injured. They always do. It's a fact of baseball. So I think two is the magic number here, whether it's Stroman and somebody else or a couple smaller deals. I think that the pitching market is already hot. I think it's going to be hotter than the position player market. And I think the Mets need to act quickly. Um, but I think now... So you think we need two solid I think we need two. starters. Yep. Okay. I definitely do. I think we need one high end and then some like depth pieces but because i think i think cookie carrasco is going to bounce back he's older i hope so this this was this was a really trying year he pushed himself to come back because he knew the mets needed him but he was never ready uh the guy's a fighter obviously with the you know being able to 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 battle cancer and, and come back just just great human being i expect him to bounce back i expect tyler mcgill to take another step forward uh, and I expect David Peterson to bounce back. He did kind of the Matt's thing where after his first long exposure, his second kind of long exposure, he struggled a bit. And those are good things. You, you, you don't ever want guys to struggle, but they can learn from things like that. And, and I think that's a big deal to, to see you had success to see what, what failure looks like or, or what it is that isn't working to be able to learn from that. Sometimes you learn from, from struggles the most because those are the times that you truly pay attention to like, why am I doing this? Exactly. So I think I, 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 I think Taiwan Walker is going to be solid again. I think he's somewhere in the middle of the all-star 
and the train wreck that was the second half. I think he's a solid number three type with upside. I think his ceiling is still all-star level. Um, and then, then you have Cookie, you have Peterson, and you have McGill. I think those those guys will give you two quality starters depending on who's who's hurt, who's who's moving around. So I think you just need that. We both agree that you need at least one solid rotation piece. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the important thing to note is that we shouldn't completely write off the four and five guys, the young guys in McGill and Peterson, because McGill basically, I think, doubled his career high for innings pitch this year out of pure necessity. And he was so solid those first 10 starts and really went up against some tough competition, especially he was like a shining star in that dreadful West Coast trip where we couldn't pick up a win for our lives. He was giving them quality innings against the Giants and Dodgers. Uh, Walker had a great start there as well. Like these guys have proven that they can still compete at a top level, but I just think they were just gassed by August and September They're, They didn't really stand a chance. So that is why I think the Mets need somebody durable to eat those innings and hopefully DeGrom can stay healthy and hopefully cookie, uh, bounces back. But again, that's a lot of times to say, hopefully in something as big as a starting rotation. Well, I mean, we're, we're looking at it realistically now. We we've seen what happens like, injuries happen, crazy things happen, you know? And so we are a little more realistic on things because I truly expect DeGrom to make 30 plus starts. Um, I would be surprised and heartbroken if it doesn't happen because, you know, I love watching that guy pitch and it's special. So I'm, I'm anticipating 30 plus because I know he he's going to be ready. So. Yeah, the first 11 starts for Tyler McGill, 3.21 ERA. And uh, in 2020, David Peterson had a 2.8. So, I mean, in those 10-start windows, these young guys were really good. And I think you need to sort of condition them and build them up a little bit. And you can't expect 30 starts their first year. That's a very special type of starting Yeah, pitcher. I think you, you might be able to combine those two guys to, to get you 35, 40 starts uh, from, from whatever up and down, however you want to manage them. I think it's important to... That's why depth is so important. Yeah. So I think now we can sort of transition into who is going to be at the helm of making these decisions. This was originally going to be the focal point of the 20th episode until Noah Syndergaard dropped the bomb on us yesterday. Happy 20th, by the way. We're 20th no longer episode. Woo, I wish we had happier news, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but making the I decisions. I feel like it's happy news. It's, I feel like it's happy news. It's, it's a mix for me. Your, your fandom is showing. I love it so much. It's, it's, it's definitely a mix because I don't think the Mets should have paid. It's hard to hear it, but I don't think the Mets should have paid $22 million for one year of Noah Syndergaard. I think the qualifying offer was perfect as a fail safe to get that draft pick. I love it. So, so give it to me, give it to me from a business side. Would you have matched or overshot that? Yeah. So before I even say that there, there was, if you're, if you're Sandy, yeah, it, there was that rumor from WFAN that Sandy said he didn't get the chance to match. We're not going to comment on it because we don't know the validity of it. Until we hear it from the from the source, until we know for a fact that 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 Noah didn't give them a chance to counter, I'm just going to assume it's it didn't happen. So. Okay, yeah. So that's that's totally fair. I think if I if I'm the Mets GM, who uh, remember I just stepped into the door uh, like 24 hours ago, um, I don't think I give uh, Syndergaard the 22 million because you know at the end of the day it was nice to have him sort of as a lock in next year's rotation, but he was another question mark in a rotation of five question marks right now. Uh, and that's a lot of money to attach to one guy. And I know I, in the heat of the moment when it immediately happened, I came down on the Mets a little bit. I was like, how can you let a guy walk for $2.6 million? And that was my instant gut reaction as a fan who watched the 2015 World Series and watched Noah get our only win. He has that place in my heart. He has that stranglehold. 
Uh, but after deliberating on it for a few hours and, you know, getting the perspectives of other Mets fans and other outside sources that aren't Mets fans and aren't biased, the Angels are taking a risk here. They're taking a, a massive risk on a $22 million deal because they need pitching that badly. Noah instantly becomes their number two behind Shohei Otani, who has that same injury history. He also is not... It, Noah at his best is better than Otani at his best. I I mean, look at the numbers. That's a flaming hot take right there, Jerry. It is. It's not. Look at the look at the numbers. At his best, sure. But when was his best? Twenty sixteen. You know, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So twenty sixteen. Yep. If Noah can regain that form, I definitely agree. But we are five years removed from that, so I I don't know. I don't know if that is what the Angels are envisioning, or I think just somebody to give them thirty starts of quality pitching. But when Noah came back, and you know he wasn't throwing sliders and curveballs, and wasn't completely a hundred percent, you know it, it it did bother me a little bit. It gave me a little bit of worrisome uh, feelings. But twenty two million dollars—that's a high AAV. That's on par with the top starting pitchers in the market. And I think this is a lot of money for the Mets to save, which is good. Um, but it just depends how they use it. So I I think at the end of the day, plus the draft pick, plus the draft pick, which I keep you know, leaving him. You know, I, I feel that same way. I think if, uh, if they got a chance, they, they, they had their evaluation of what they thought we're going to get from Noah and they thought 21, $22 million wasn't going to be worth it. And the return of a uh, return of a draft pick was compensation. I think, you know, it was a business decision. If they, if they got to make that decision, it was a business decision. If not, you know, so be it whatever the case may be that you, you save that money. Well, it, it stinks. It'll be weird seeing him. He does look good. He'll, he'll probably look good in red. I don't want to hear that, Jerry. I think, I think he'll look terrible in red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now nah, he'll probably look good, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's sad and confusing as a fan, but from a business perspective, that is a lot of money for a one year deal for a guy that's pitched two innings in two years. Especially like you talked about the, our rotation, the, the Mets rotation has so many question marks. You don't want an extra question mark at that at that amount of money. What you want is a guy that you're going to get in that's you can you can count on. Yeah. So the Marcus Stroman type. Marcus Stroman type, exactly. So the Mets, long story short, have a new GM. Woo! We finally got one. Yay! No more rejections. No more rumors. No more random names throwing out. It is kind of rumory. Yeah, it's a little get rumor. that press conference in. But it's all but confirmed. I think they're in agreement now. Epler is in New York. Um, Billy Epler is the new hire, and funnily enough, ha ha ha, he was the GM of the Angels for the past six years. So like, oh, it's like a trade, guys. It's not a trade. Uh, This was a complete blindside. But uh, there's plenty of reasons to be excited, and there's plenty of reasons to be concerned, because this is the New York Mets we're talking about, and that is always the case. Uh, Here is the short, abridged version of Epler up until this point. He uh, was originally a scout for the Colorado Rockies. Then he transitioned to the New York Yankees, was with them for 11 years, including the year when they won the World Series in 2009. He's a huge scouting buff, was the director of professional scouting for them in 2005, even made it all the way up to assistant GM as one of Cashman's guys. So there's plenty of of things to get excited about there. Then he uh, took the GM job in Los Angeles and was dealt a pretty rough hand. Uh, He basically had to build the analytical department from the ground up, which he did. Um, But he had to juggle the difficulty of competing immediately and also providing sustainability, which is a thing he's probably going to have to do with the Mets as well, though maybe to a lesser degree because of where the farm system for the New York Mets is at right now. Um, It was six consecutive losing seasons for Billy Epler and the Los Angeles Angels, but people that have worked with him in that analytical department and the scouting department spoke very very highly of him 
just as a good baseball mind. And of course, uh, for those who are familiar with the Angels, there was a hint of meddlesome ownership with uh, Mr. Moreno at the helm, you know, constantly wanting the Angels to spend big and compete. And we're going to dive into the trades that were made by Epler and the contracts that were signed uh, by Epler. But, you know, I mean, I feel good about this just because it's not somebody that has been out of baseball since 2017. That was the guy we were discussing last episode in Adam Cromie. It's a guy that has been around the game at least recently and can immediately step into this GM role. Yeah, I feel good about it too. I think he's he's a very talented, smart human being uh, who's who knows baseball inside and out. He's an, he's a statistical analytical guy, uh, but he's also a, a scout. I think that's super important because um, he's able to talk about baseball, talk about talent, and not just see numbers. And and I think it's I think it's a good mix of both. I also um, so the current uh, pitching coach of the San Francisco Giants, Andrew Bailey, uh, came up you know, with me, I played with him in Oakland and then he came out of playing right into a front office bullpen coach and a pitching coach role with the angels under Billy Epler. And before this, I had always talked to with, with Andrew uh, about his transition from playing to coaching. And he's like, look, Billy Epler saw something in me from a player side, but more from uh, the, the other side of it. And he let me shadow him. He let me do everything. He goes, he wanted me to be a part of as much as I wanted to be because he saw something in me as well. And so, you know, to, to take an eye for talent like Andrew Bailey and see something just in, in, in small interactions and to be able to see a broader vision because what he's doing in San Francisco, that whole front office is impressive. And, and that's an eye for talent. And Andrew's a great person and to see something like that, it just, it just shows me that he is also very communicable, like very uh, interactive with, with coaching staff, with players, with front office, with scouts. He's a personable person, which is, which is key to be able to handle all these personalities. So I am like really excited. I don't worry about the record as much because that isn't always indicative of, of, value of what you did as a person you know it's like wins and losses for Degrom. yeah when he won a Cy Young it's hard it's just a different evaluation tool yeah the uh the example that I kept going back to was Terry Collins's uh poor record before he joined the Mets and you know he had some rough seasons with the Mets but he ended up being a World Series manager so yeah exactly and so you know I'm just I'm, I am excited I think I think even when you do lose you learn something more like I said from from failure from hard times than you do from winning because when you're winning you're just like this is sweet I can do this all day long you're in the groove or whatever the case may be but when you're losing you truly start to self-evaluate so I think it's I think it's important yeah so there's I think the coaching thing is really important to bring up here because he did assemble uh, some good coaching staffs, just not so much success at at least at a superficial level uh, with the managers. Now, the one guy that he had handpicked to bring in for the Angels that was canned after one season, which is never a good idea, in my opinion, uh, was Brad Ausmus, who had a 90 loss season after managing for the Detroit Tigers. He was canned and replaced by Joe Madden. Uh, that imme- he immediately becomes a managerial candidate for the Mets. I don't know if there's any weight to that at all, but I just know that those two have a good personal relationship. And of course, Epler has his roots uh, in New York and also has a great personal relationship with David Stearns, who the Mets are reportedly targeting for uh, the president job next year. 
which will surely bring along some tampering charges of some sort because it's just blatantly obvious at this point that they are sort of crafting this entire front office to hopefully get Stearns. It's a lot of eggs to put in one basket. But if this goes according to plan, I mean, the Mets, I think that's worth taking on that consequence. You got to believe, right? I think so. And I don't think it's all like based upon trying to, to lure David Stearns in because he's still, Epler's still a quality hire. I think it's very important for this season and seasons moving forward, depending on the, the length of the contract. But I, I feel like it is enticing for other president of baseball ops people to come in and see you have somebody that's capable, that's, you know, has a passion and a, a good, they do well. It's better than having nobody there and it's better than having somebody that's inadequate. So I think it's, you know, if we do nail, like get David Stearns in one, two, three, whatever the case may be, uh, at least there'll be a possibility of a, a good working relationship with his GM. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think one important note I want to have here is because the Mets are attempting to have stability again in this front office, which has been sort of a revolving door. I found this really interesting stat on Twitter, which was Mets general managers to have a tenure of longer than five years. I don't know if you saw this note, so I want to see if you can guess. I did. Okay, yeah, so then don't guess. I saw it. There's only three. It's Frank Cashin, who won the 86 championship with the Mets, Omar Minaya, who put together the 06 through 08 teams, and then Sandy Alderson, who was 2010 through 2018. Now he's in a different role. That's three GMs of longer than five years in an entire franchise's history. I'm not putting my eggs in the Billy Epler basket yet. There's a lot to be seen. There's a lot of signings to be made. But I think the Mets could really benefit from just some guy holding a job for a longer amount of time than two years because that's just kind of what it's been ever since 2015, really. I think, uh, like like you said, if, if you want to build something long-term, you're going to need somebody there, a steady presence. And they haven't had that. And it shows there's a lot of inconsistencies going on. And so, you know, it's hard to look at from a fan side until, you know, for me it was until seeing it from a player side, there's so much infrastructure built into an organization that unless you're giving out the same message gets kind of broken up on the way. So if you're building an organization, you think about it as like this whole chain of events, you want to be teaching the coaches to be teaching the same thing. The, the analytics side being teaching the same thing from, the Dominican all the way through the low a all the way up. You want to be on the same page and it just hasn't been there just because there's been so much turnover. And so if you get a steady presence, somebody in there that respects quality scouting, because it's important uh, also analytical side to bring in and mesh those two networks together. uh, It's, it's definitely going to create some stability in the organization and, and three guys in a, in the whole franchise's history. That's, crazy and so hopefully this is number four I'm hoping this is number four and he's cu- he's coming into some good things with the Mets uh, the Mets have one of the most expensive analytical departments in baseball right now 30 plus members and they're still expanding which is great Epler hand built the analytical department which is on the up and up uh, over at the Angels uh, which is encouraging he's a scouting mastermind and the Mets have always been able to draft well and have always been able to sign their picks except for last year pretty much Uh, So those are two things going for him. He's also orchestrated some pretty good trades uh, for the Angels. Not a lot of them extended very long because, you know, those players are moving around and signing new deals, but he was able to get them Justin Upton on a great deal, Tommy LaStella, Angelton Simmons, Max Stassi, Patrick Sandoval, and some others for pretty much giving up no immediate impact prospects. And I think Martin Maldonado went to the Astros in that deal to get Max Stassi. So he's had some good trade history. Um, It's really the contracts that have sort of, 
tainted his reputation a little bit uh, because the Angels always like to spend big, and more often than not, they're spending uh, it results in some uh, pretty negative uh, wins above replacement and just player performance. Uh, there's two good ones, obviously. The, the most obvious is Shohei Otani. Uh, he's been a godsend for the Angels. He's a generational player. Uh, having him alongside Mike Trout has been fantastic. And then Anthony Rendon, who I think can still turn into a good contract. He had a, he had a pretty rough year last year, was battling some injuries, but had a great 2020. Yeah, he was hurt. Yeah, so he was hurt. You know, there's no way to work around that. But I think, you know, there's a lot of time left on that contract for him I'm, to prove I'm sure Mets fans him. remember Anthony Rendon well because he is one of the most underappreciated players on the planet. I think so. Uh, so I think that's a great contract. I think the Shoei Otani, obviously, basically for nothing. Um, then you talk about the bad. I mean, the, the number one sticks out to me is the biggest one is the Justin Upton one. Yeah. Five for 106. But I think it was. I, I don't understand why Justin Upton isn't living up to it. Like I see everything. And I, sometimes you just got to. Because I think he signed as like a 30 year old. So it's not like they were paying for some vet. that Yeah. Can't play. And he had had some great years in Detroit leading up to it. And Detroit is a graveyard for power hitters that that ballpark is huge um and then he came over to anaheim which is a much friendlier place to to hit i i don't know why uh, obviously you know you gotta figure something out but then the, the other one the zach cozart one i totally forgot about until you wrote it in the exactly. notes i had forgotten about it too until i was talking with people on twitter that i just wanted to touch on the upton one the upton contract originally was to to block him from opting out uh so they extended him in that way which honestly is, is not a bad move in the first place, but when it's 5 for 106 and there's an immediate decline, it's going to get looked at uh, that way. The Zach Cozart one is, is rough. It was three years for $38 million. He was coming off a surprise career year with the Reds, where in 2017 he made the All-Star team, was one of the best shortstops in the game, and he just immediately fell off. So that was a tough look for them. That resulted in them trading for Angelton Simmons and then extending him and him sort of tailing off, so that didn't work out as well. The one that concerns me, or I guess the numerous uh, contracts that concern me, are all the Angels' efforts to rectify their pitching staff. Uh, they took a lot of one-year flyers on guys that just did not get anything going. All of these contracts are $8.5 million or above uh, in Julio Tehran, Trevor Cahill, Matt Harvey, of course, who the Mets are familiar with, and Cody Allen. Uh, none of these guys pan out to more than, I think, 1.0 wins above replacement, which is not what you want out of guys that are going to be taking the majority of innings uh, for you in a, in a certain calendar year. So I think the Mets, we, we know that Billy Epler is willing to spend, and we know that the Mets have the funds uh, to spend this offseason. They have a fat wallet. They, they have not hid that at all. Uh, but I think, you know, they need to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, Billy Epler needs a little bit of guidance here. I don't know how much ownership was involved in the targeting of these guys. Uh, I, I we'll never know, pretty much. But uh, I'm hoping that, if we spend big, which I'm sure that we will, um, it's on some better projects, I guess. Yeah, and it, you you mentioned these are all one year deals. Yeah. These are all just strictly cash. The the Trevor Cahill one for nine. He came off of a resurgent year with the A's where he he outperformed big time, and he earned that contract. He just fell back to earth a little bit. The Harvey one was a, a deep spend. I think Boris has season tickets. Uh, I think I really do. I think he's right behind the plate there. I think I remember seeing him there a few times in LA. So there might be a personal relationship with Artie Moreno ownership, whatever the case may be. Uh, but also these don't hurt you. These aren't the ones that hurt you. You're trying to, these are gap fillers. These are stop gaps. It's the, it's the longer term deals, especially for a pitcher where you're just locking up this money 
and they ha- they don't have those. They I guess they they weren't willing to spend. Um, they've been in dire need of pitching for as long as I can remember. You know, ever since um, Jared Weaver, I guess I right? played Jared Weaver. Uh, it's the last ace. I was thinking of the other. He won with Boston and Chicago. I know they signed C.J. Wilson to a pretty rough deal. C.J. Wilson was a big, a big miss for them. They had Josh Hamilton contract, the Albert Pujols contract. This was those two were before, right? Before Epler, Epler and I was going to actually touch on that because Epler inherited those bad Hamilton and Pujols contracts. I'm not saying Francisco Lindor's contract is bad. I'm glad he's a Met, but he is inheriting $340 million of payroll that is already dedicated to one person. So he's already working with constraints. I think, I think, again, I think Lindor will be fine. I think that is a, it is a big pill to swallow, but that also comes from ownership. And if your ownership is willing to sign that something big on a young guy versus on Pujols that everyone knew he was going to decline, uh, even he knew that, um, that's, that's different. But I think, I think it's interesting to see how he addresses the pitching need. I think Stroman, I, Stroman is like, a must fit almost here. And that's a guy he would have targeted if he was still with the angels, you know, they would have been in on Stroman. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of teams targeting him. And then we'll see where, we'll see what Stroman does, what he wants to do. If he lets his market kind of, you know, evolve, I think I would sit on it for a while. I would like turn my phone off and let my agent do some work and just go away for a little bit. I definitely think so. And like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the CBA on December 1st. We don't know how the market is either going to speed up, which I think it will, or just completely slow down to a halt. I think Noah was smart for taking his deal because we just don't know what this market is going to look like in a month. Um, but Stroman, as we said before, he's going to have a ton of suitors, including the Angels, who are probably still in on him. Um, but I think the important thing to note is that the teams that are going to be in on Stroman likely have great infield defenses behind them um, because Stroman is a high ground ball pitcher. He pitches to contact more often than not which is why the Mets should definitely be on him with guys like Francisco Lindor behind him. And I know we talked about our Matt Chapman dream trade with Oakland, which I still hope happens because then you have him at third base. Maybe Javi Baez comes back. And if I'm Marcus Stroman and I see that infield defense, I think this should be a slam dunk. I mean, nothing's going to get by these guys. I don't know why I wouldn't want to stay, especially if the Mets are going to pay me what I think I deserve. So like you said before, maybe starting pitching isn't the first thing the Mets focus on. Maybe they lay the groundwork to attract the starting pitching in the first place. So there's a lot of questions in the air. Yeah, but finally, they're going to have a direction. You know, once this gets put into place, he'll be able to start putting, I bet he's already doing it, putting in, you know, the tracks for what this organization is going to look like from a GM perspective. And it's so important. The good news is he, like you said, he's not inheriting anything horrible. Uh, the the one being he's got you know Robbie Cano on the books for one more year, but that's just one more year. That's a that's a one year bad, you know, overpay. Uh, apart from that, I think the I think there's a lot to work with. A very good roster with some very you know I mean you have the best pitcher in the world. He's never had that, so he's got to be excited. Never had anything close, honestly. I'm sure he's going to make a trip to Deland just to kind of. Uh, gauge gauge what's going on yeah i mean so he's got the best defensive shortstop in the game and he's got the best pitcher in the game which is two great places to start uh the one downside the one larger downside larger than anything we've talked about uh is that the mickey calloway scandal will continue to follow this front office especially with the hire of uh, billy epler who hired mickey calloway as a pitching coach on the angels after he had left the mets uh Mickey Callaway obviously did some disgusting things uh, in his sexual harassment claims. It was from five different women. 
And this sort of fell out of the Mets cycle a little bit. Obviously, it's going to fall around Sandy for a long time. But now Billy Epler is brought in. The scandal is obviously going to come back to light. And they're going to be asked about this pretty much from day one. I think from that initial presser, it will be brought up. And it's it's going to be important. Deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly so. There's no reason why this should be swept under the rug any further than it already was. It was one of the largest open secrets in baseball. That's the problem. That's what, that's what, so again, that what's, what's delaying his signing. What is his hire right now is their background check. Yeah. So they're, 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 they're fixing the process of whatever it was that overlooked some major issues when you, when you hire a person to come in and, and be in a role. I think it's important uh, for Billy Epler to address it. I think he, he will, if he's, he seems to be smart, you don't want to, there's, there's nothing that New York hates more than deflecting and not being honest and open about stuff. That's a true issue. Like this isn't, you can't something... treat New York like they're stupid. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Don't treat New Yorkers like they're stupid. And I think if you just show some authenticity and, and talk about it, admit your mistakes, whatever the case may be, uh, there's going to be some legal issues on the way he verbalizes things and the, what words he uses, because there's still, some open litigation on some of the things and, but he'll have to address it. And this will be, I think, like you said, this will be his first real test of, of how he handles the media. Yeah. So the Mets have three different agencies operating on their vetting process. Now they've severely bulked up there. I'm hoping that money is well spent. I'm hoping those guys earn their keep uh, with their deep dive into Billy Epler. But yeah, there's no, there's no dancing around the situation. It's going to be the first thing you have to address but I think a good way to remove yourself from that ugly history is to have a good offseason and to show fans that you are invested in the immediate impact of this team and not interested in a rebuild because there's no way that Steve Cohen's Mets are going to rebuild. The payroll is too big. The talk was too big. There's no way you can go back on it just a year later. And the Mets are working with some some tough contracts that are expiring soon. You know, you may see, be saying goodbye to DeGrom at some point soon, although I don't necessarily believe that's true. I'm hoping he's a Met for life, and I'm going to hold on to that hope. But yeah, the Mets are working with guys that might be out the door soon, so there's extensions to get done, specifically Brandon Nimmo. That's a guy I'm looking at as somebody that they should lock up. Um, but there's a lot to do, and I think that's, you know, the Callaway thing is going to be the first thing that uh, comes to the news media, and there's going to be all sorts of circus shows. That first test, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll see, and I hope he's, he's going to be prepared. I imagine he will be. It'll tell us a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm expecting him to 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 crush that process and to move on from it, uh, address it, acknowledge it, and move on, and be able to say we're we're working on whatever the case may be, and then we can get to baseball, which I think is fantastic. It's nice to be back on baseball players. Like as tough as the Noah Sunning was, it's so nice to not be talking about guys that I've never heard of before in front offices who might be taking a job. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. Uh, there's only so many brand new people that I've never heard of that I can be like, sure, that sounds cool. <laughs> I have no idea. Epler, a name I know. So I, it's it'll be nice. Yeah, that was actually a name I knew. It, I, I don't want to talk about GM prospects. I want to talk about Mets prospects and, and what we got. How does our, is a random question, how is our pitching depth? So that's the thing. In the farm system. So the Mets have a, a great farm. I, I would argue a, a top 15, maybe even top 10 farm. But unlike uh, the farms of the past that included uh, Rafael Montero and Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz, these stacked pitching farms, the Mets are very position player heavy right now. The top guys in that farm are Francisco Alvarez, a catcher, Brett Beatty, a third baseman, Ronnie Mauricio, a shortstop, Khalil Lee, an outfielder. 
The top pitching guys that I can think of are Thomas Zipucki, who we saw this year for, I think, only an inning before he got injured. Um, JT, uh, JT Ginn, who is, I think, at single A. And then uh, one other guy who is going to escape my mind right now. But the point is the Mets are very position player heavy right now, which is why I'm intrigued by the Epler hire because of how good his trade history is. The Mets have trade pieces in that farm to work with, and there are trade candidates of starting pitchers out there in the market. The most notable one I can think of surprisingly from the Reds, is Luis Castillo. I mean, the Reds are in constant turnover for some reason. I know they have payroll uh, inflexibility, but they're already selling off uh, what can be considered a contending team who was good last season for a majority of the season. Luis Castillo is a guy that, again, every team will have their eye on. There's also Sonny Gray in that staff as well. But the Mets have some really fun pieces in that farm system, and they don't, they don't need them all necessarily they have two they have uh, Mauricio and Beatty and Vientos pretty much all as projected third baseman and you know they also have JD Davis and Robinson Cano already at the major league level that is a crowded position full of either guys who aren't ready yet or underperformance so there are pieces to flip here to go get a starting pitcher so like you said before if you want to go get that premium arm and Stroman you could go trade for another one. You don't necessarily need to take a risk on a guy like John Gray or Carlos Rodon. You can go get a guy like Luis Castillo with the right package. We can we can dive into this now if you want, or we can save it for our next one. But I think that's super interesting approach because I think Stroman is the only guarantee that's left out there as far as a young guy that's going to get money. I think then Gosman is a, a guy, he's right underneath that because he hasn't done it. But as I long. think the gap is there between Stroman and Gosman. You know what I mean? It's size. I, I completely agree. Then outside of those short-term guys, the Scherzer, the Verlanders, then I think you have to trade. So you talked about Oakland. You've got Sean Manaya over there. You got Chris Bassett, Frankie Montas as well. Ricky or Frankie Montas. That's right. Um, those are guys that are, First of all, good human beings that I've played with. I, uh, Chris Bassett is an Ohio guy that I love. And Sean Manaya has one of the most, you know, we have Mr. Smile and Lindor. This guy is one of the, the, the happiest human beings on the planet. Just an absolute aura of positivity in Sean Manaya, a great human. So if we could package up something big for Oakland and get Matt Chapman and, and Chris Bassett and Sean Manaya kind of thing, yeah, you know, that would be fantastic. I'd love to dive deep on that at some point. There are definitely, I mean, so it, it all depends on what you want to do with the 2019 core that wasn't uh, of Dom Smith, of Jeff McNeil, of J.D. Davis, the guys who just really didn't show up in 2021. You have prospects, you have like six prospects that are coming off their best year. I don't think Brett Beatty is going anywhere. I think the Mets are very in on him. He's one of Alderson's favorite prospects that he's drafted, and he looks fantastic. He just was an AFL All-Star in the Arizona Fall League. But then you have Ronnie Mauricio, who who knows where he's going to play because he projects taller and more bulkier than an he average is shortstop. Huge. Literally, the first time I saw him, I go, that's Ronnie Mauricio? For some reason, I pictured this, you know, you know, Andres Jimenez style human being. And he, he, Not by any he's means. huge. No. He is a big human. He reminds me a lot of O'Neill Cruz. who's going to be up with the pirates next year. Who knows how long he's going to be a shortstop. So, I mean, yeah. Mauricio looks like a, like a quicker version of like Ahmed Rosario. Yeah. Like out there, like a, just a speedier, more fast twitch kind of guy. It's incredible. And that, you know, prospect sites were in on Ahmed Rosario. So imagine how in they are on Ronnie Mauricio. This guy has a lot of value and he's blocked. Franklin, uh, Alvarez isn't going anywhere. No, Al- Alvarez and Beatty, I don't think, are involved in any trade that the Mets are brewing up. Having thrown to Alvarez a few times and uh, very impressed with his poise 
as a, a teenager, man, he's, he is a true little kid and is his joy for life. I love it so much. And he's polished back there for such a young guy with an absolute cannon and real power. Um, the Mets future is bright. We just need to be able to bridge that. And, and that's why having a GM, having B- Billy Epler step in, he could gauge both that, how to put a team on the field that could win now without sacrificing all of the future pieces. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited. It's actually f- have a path laid forth for us. Um, we can finally talk baseball a little more consistently. And you mentioned the the bridge, bridging the gap. 2022 is the bridge year, in my opinion. 2023 is when guys like Alvarez and Beatty are going to be ready. Um, but we mentioned Mauricio before, and he views himself as a shortstop. He's said that before. And if he does, he's blocked in the Mets organization uh, for 12 years. And I, I don't think that's that's ideal for him because Francisco Lindor is here to stay. That's a big trade chip I'm looking at. I know a lot of Mets fans don't want to part with him, and he is going to be talented. He is going to be a good ball player. But if you're looking at a deal that can fix two holes for you immediately, it is that Chapman plus starting pitcher deal. And, you know, the A's have three different starting pitchers that they have who are uh, they're willing to deal and can put in one of those giant blockbuster arrangements. So I think Mauricio is a guy to look at as involved in one of these deals. I think maybe Mark Vientos as well. He had a fantastic year at double-A AA and triple-A last year. His defense is an issue, but as we know, uh, with guys like Marcus Simeon, the A's have gurus that just can fix guys' gloves like that. So I'm sure that's a reclamation project that they might be interested in. And I think one more of the Major League Ready guys falls into that equation as well, whether it's uh, J.D. Davis, whether it's Jeff McNeil, although the Mets, I think, are very much still in on McNeil and want him to have another shot. I, I am as well. I'm, I'm in on McNeil. I think, I think his skill set, is the the easiest to bounce back from if you can just fix you know his kind of attitude in a sense and again i don't i don't want to speak poorly on a human being i just think he hurts himself and holds himself back by by his approach and so i think i think he's the easiest reclamation project that you can have on that just because of his skill set the one that i think would make the most sense in this oakland deal is dom smith just because the a's are probably going to trade matt olson and they probably need somebody to fill that hole immediately. And if they can get that in another deal, that would be ideal for them. So I think two great prospects and Dom Smith could maybe net you uh, the lowest end starting pitcher that they have to offer and maybe Matt Chapman. But that's obviously all a pipe dream, and it could be completely wrong because I'm not a GM. I'll never be a GM, nor do I want to be a GM. It's a thankless job. Maybe Billy Bean feels guilty for not coming over and, and shunning the Mets, that he's he's capable of packaging something for some prospects. Maybe, man. I hope so. I hope he's got a little Mets He's never felt guilty about a, a deal before, and he's never given something up on purpose. There's only one deal that he's ever made that, that I've been aware of that's that I was like, man, you're missing one here. And that was letting Carlos Gonzalez leave. Oh, interesting. Oh, right. Cause they let him go as a prospect. He, yeah. he, we traded, um, I think it was, was it the Cahill deal or the Dan Heron deal? I can't remember to Oakland and he came over and I had played against him so much in the minor leagues and we were in triple a together and in the big leagues for a bit. And they just didn't like what they saw, I guess. And sent him to Colorado, and you saw what he became. Like, yeah, I want to look up who he was the dealt man. for. So that was the only one where you know I'm like Billy. What? What were you mad at him? Did he? Did he like punch you in the face? And we never knew what. What'd you send him? Out I don't for? think he taunted him like like Josh Donaldson did. Right? That was a whole different. No, one. no. We know. We all know why Donaldson got shipped out. But 
Yeah, I don't think Bean re- re- regretted that by any means. It, it turned out to be kind of a lopsided deal, but still, that that deal was going to yeah, happen. Something regardless. goes, something. So, yeah, if they had kept him, it wouldn't have been a pretty clubhouse. So you got to do what you got to do to Let's keep the, the product on the field. Oh wow. Okay, so they originally got Carlos Gonzalez along with Brett Anderson and Chris Carter uh, in that Dan Heron deal that you mentioned, which I, you know, they look pretty good on that one. And then they trade Cargo and Houston Street to the Rockies for Matt Holiday. Interestingly enough. Yes. Uh, and who was the Greg Smith? Greg was Smith also was the other deal. piece. Good memory. Nice job. Yeah. Well, I was there. I was there doing And that. Holiday just had a half season with the A's and then he gets flipped to the Cardinals. And I want to see. Yeah. He had a horrid half season with us where he couldn't hit anything inside and then went off for the Cardinals. Yeah. They got. Clayton Mortensen, Shane Peterson, and Brett Wallace back for holiday. So that was just a, a total loss on the A's end. Yep. And then Brett Wallace turned into Michael Taylor, a different Michael Taylor. Not Michael A. Taylor. I know the Michael Taylor you're talking about. Yeah. He was a, he looked like Cam Newton in a yes, baseball uniform. Yes, he did look like Cam Newton a little bit. That's actually really Stanford funny. Stanford educated, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, probably kicking life in the butt, doing dominating, but um, not a great trade. Well, we've officially gone down the trade rabbit hole, which always means it's time to end the we show. We can cut I all think. this. <laughs> <laughs> we always just end up talking about the A's and like what they do. I know. Let's recap real quick so the Mets fans understand. So we 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 expressed our emotions and thoughts from a fan perspective on Noah. Yep. We talked about what it means as a as the Mets uh, from a business standpoint and whether or not we should have done matched whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that's important. We talked about Billy Epler and the the signing of that and what we could do, what we could, who we could sign things we could fill in for in the rotation. And also are some of the trade pieces that we can go out and, and acquire, uh, on the, on the starting pitching market. So I think that's cool, man. We, we had tackled basically pitching, which was great. I think the cliff notes of, of our perspective is, the Mets maybe could have brought back Noah for that extra 2.6, but now they have money to spend. Uh, they have a GM that has spent money big before, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but he has a great trade record, uh, and the Mets are definitely uh, suitors for some type of trade, maybe with the Reds, maybe with the A's. And obviously this is a scouting, uh, drafting mind, which is the Mets' strong suit, in my opinion. Um, so there are reasons to be excited. There are reasons to be worried. And there's going to be a little bit of a storm coming uh, for the Mets with this Callaway discussion that will be at the forefront of the Epler hire and then everything that comes after with that fat wallet and where they decide to direct it. So we're at the be- the official beginning of the, the turning page, I think. I think we were sort of uh, in weird waters and we didn't really know what direction we were going in. And now we have a path to follow. That's a good point. We have like a start. We're in the starting blocks now and we're, we're, we have what we have. Uh, I do want to say... If you're if you're a Mets fan and you're and you you want to be mad at Noah, by all means, be mad, be angry, boo him when he comes, whatever you got to do, unfollow him on Twitter, whatever the case may be. You're allowed to feel however you want to feel. Um, you know, he was a big piece of of what we saw, what we what could have been. Uh, he had some shining moments from going after Chase Utley. He'll forever be appreciated for uh, by Mets fans from his world series performance, uh, from his shirtless, you know, running around, people appreciate that. Uh, he was, he was a true personality, something that the Mets always need is like this shining kind of celebrity like personality. And 
I wonder who who our next one's going to be. I think Pete wants to be it, but I don't think it's him. He's too goofy. He's just too He's goofy. Goober. Yeah. He's too much of a goober. Um, you know, maybe Lindor steps into that role, but uh, and then maybe we go after somebody. But uh, I I love Noah. I, I'm excited for him as a human being. I think it's a good fit, and I don't think it's that big. I mean, it's a big loss for the Mets, but the door's not closed, man. He could sign back. It's a one-year deal to build that value. Um, I don't think the door's shut, um, so I wouldn't burn all your jerseys just in case, but if you want to make a display, I- I'm all for it, man. Be passionate. Be angry if you want to be angry. Thor could be a villain too, you know? He could, dude. He could. He very well could. Maybe short-haired, short-haired Thor. Oh, God, that would be terrible. Don't I cut, think the Mets fan hair. should start, like, this blog, maybe this, like, grassroots that says you can't have long hair. You have to cut it now. You left that We're going to be the Yankees then, honestly. We're telling no, guys no, what no. to do No, no, no. He can't hair. have it. If it's only in Queens, can he have the long hair? You have to let that go with, with, your, with your Mets player like you no longer can do that okay yeah i like that he has to take it away i mean well to be fair we didn't make you cut your hair right so well yeah i they didn't let me on the team because i grew my hair apparently right, exactly so when you left we we we, we let it slide but, but noah's a little different <laughs> that's a little bit more yeah no yeah he's also he could he he's also much bigger than me so uh, i i'd stick to the twitter poll i wouldn't tell him in person of course so mets fans stay loud stay emphatic and uh keep caring about the team because there's a lot of things i don't coming. care what it is that you're bringing if you're if you're passionate about it whatever feelings you're having don't feel bad about having them. I, I don't have to tell new yorkers that they don't need to feel or they should feel bad about it but i love it either way i don't personally feel Again, I'm way too close to it from a personal perspective, but I just love the passion that the Mets fans have one way or the other or a mixture of both. I love it. And, and it shows you why, why people appreciate playing here because the passionate fan base is, is incredible because there's pure love of the team, sometimes blind to reality because you love the Mets so much. And I appreciate it, man. So, so do your thing, Mets fans. Do whatever you feel like you need to. All right, Jer. Think we're good? I think we've exhausted episode 20. I think so. So, guys, thank you for tuning in uh, to this episode. And if you have all 20 episodes, it's been crazy ride so far. And there's plenty more to come this offseason. Uh, but for John Boy Media, I am Jolly Olive. Yeah, shout out to uh, Jolly and his fall attire. I thank love you. the sweater. Sweater season is it's here. It's looking very dapper. Uh, and I am Jerry Blevins. Thanks for tuning in. Go Mets. Strike three.